0: So, today we're going to be talking about God's creation. I sort of felt like this is just sort of a, a perfect time to talk about it. We've kind of entered that season. We've been in it for a little, a little time, maybe a month or so, but where, you know, the weather's getting all nice out. It's sort of getting to be warm in the 70s, sunny. I know certainly for myself, and thinking of Liz and the kids in particular, you know, over the last month or so, and we've had some nice days. And for me, if it's a day off... We've just enjoyed sort of being outside, being in the midst of of God's creation rather than sort of cooped up at home, cooped up inside, just sort of taking advantage of the opportunity just to be outside, be in the midst of of God's creation and just sort of delight in it and, and just sort of enjoy it. And so I really want to, in this season where we sort of naturally are coming out of our homes after winter, sort of spring, nearing summer, I want to talk about God's creation and really in a couple specific senses. One is in the sense of it being a wondrous gift from God, that, that the created order all around us, certainly we're part of the creation, but sort of thinking of the created order all around us, that this is a gift from the Lord and and that we ought to recognize that and and enjoy it, delight in it, and give him thanks and praise for this wondrous gift of his beautiful, glorious creation. But then also to realize as we sort of interact with the created world around us as we, after the sermon, as we head home and we sort of drive in the midst of it, right, and we sort of see it all around us, to recognize that it also gives us a little bit of a glimpse of God's character as well, that as we engage with the creation, right? Whether we sort of look at it sort of large scale, you know, maybe you're looking up into the heavens and you're sort of thinking, whether it's at night or daytime, maybe you're looking at the sun and hopefully not staring at the sun. Not a good idea, but sort of recognizing, of course, it's just the wondrous radiance of it and, and thinking that's a reflection of God, his wondrous infinite glory and radiance. Or maybe you're, you're looking up at the heavens, up at the sky at night and thinking, even if you can't quite see it all with the naked eye and you can only see a little bit of it, but there's just countless stars, and in the midst of that galaxy after galaxy after galaxy, seemingly innumerable, and just recognizing the vastness of it and the greatness of it, and recognizing that in its beauty and greatness, we catch a little bit of a glimpse of the immeasurably greater greatness and glory of God. Or maybe you sort of look at the small scale, maybe even in the sense of if you were to take out a microscope and sort of look at, you know, whether it's the human body or individual cells and how God has just sort of fine-tuned every little detail, whether it's, you know, every little system of our bodies, you know, our heart, how it pumps blood, how our brain functions and the nerves and all of it or every little cell and the little organelles, if you remember, biology and all that stuff, it all does its part and works together. Together, wondrously so, or you think of the laws of physics that God has put in place and sustains moment after moment, and you just sort of look at all of that and see this wondrous beauty and glory and greatness and realize that that's just like the tip of the iceberg. That's just this little glimpse of the character of the one who made it all God Himself, that we get in creation just a little glimpse of this wondrous greatness and glory and power of God, and we see that in creation. So I want to look at creation really from those two perspectives. From the perspective of it being this wondrous gift that we ought to be giving God thanks for and just celebrating and enjoying, but also recognizing that it's sort of a window into God's character. It gives us a little glimpse, it's sort of reflective in a sense of the one who made it, God Himself, and gives us a glimpse of His own immeasurable, infinite greatness and glory, and we sort of see that in creation. So I want to start, if we're going to talk about creation, you think, well, hey, what passage ought we to go to first? Well, let's go to the beginning, in the beginning, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to read the story of creation, and this goes through to chapter 2, verse 3, that we'll be reading here, Uh, and I'm going to read through it here. I'll actually read through uh, most of it. I think I'll pause at one point in the middle, but I'll sort of read through most of it and then kind of recap Uh, what we see in it as a collective whole. There's certainly so much you could be talking about here in in creation. We'll have to focus on certain parts. Otherwise, we'd go on for days and days. You could talk so much about it. But let me read it for us. Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it, and it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. I just want to pause here to to sort of explain, uh, in a sense, the the order and structure in which God is creating all of the universe. What we see here, there's very much a pattern, and and, and certainly God is a God not of chaos and disorder, but God is a God who delights in order and structure, and he creates in a way that reflects that in his own character, and it's in a very uh, ordered way in which he creates. In the first three days, uh, God is creating these realms Okay, so we have the light and the darkness, day one, we have uh, with the separation of the water, so you sort of have the water above, think of rain that that pours down, Uh, and then you have the water below, the ocean, the seas, and then in the midst of that, you have the expanse, the sky, so he creates those realms, Uh, that's day two, and then day three, we have, right, the waters gather together, the waters below, and so now you have the dry ground that appears, and the plants, the vegetation, and so he is creating these realms, these different realms, and then in days four, five, and six, and in this, way uh, day one and day four correspond and two and five correspond and three and six. And so in days four, five, and six, uh, what God is going to do is create the things that then fill those realms that have been established and created in days one, two, and three. He's going to create that which fills those realms and that which rules over and governs those realms. And So it's very much an ordered and structured way in which God creates. So now we're going to keep on reading and we're going to read day four here. So this is verse 14. It says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years, and let them be light in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day, right? So just to think of day one and day four and how they fit together and correspond, right? God creates light and darkness and sort of the realm. And then what do we have here? That's day one. Day four, we have the sun, the moon, the stars, the, thing that sort of, the things that fill these realms and govern them, rule over them, the light and the darkness. So now we move on and we're at day five. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teemed, according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Again, now, to, to look at the pattern here, day two, right, we have the separation of the water. so you have the water above that, that pours down, rain, and the water below, think of the ocean, the seas, and then as they're separated, now you have this expanse, the sky that, that is created, so you have those realms, and, and what does God do? He fills them, and he fills them with the things that sort of govern them and rule over them, and so there are the birds that are created. Think of the expanse and the filling of that realm, so he creates the birds in day five that corresponds, and all of the animals, right, the fish that, that fill the seas, filling that realm realm as well. And so we see day two and day five corresponding. And now we'll move on to day six. And so just to to back up to remember day three, that was the dry ground and the plant. So now what is God going to do? Well, he's going to create that which fills this realm and rules over it. And certainly the one that chiefly rules over this realm is man himself, not just the land animals, but ultimately man himself. And that's what God is going to do. So it says, verse 20, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And it was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now moving on to chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Right, so what I want to focus on here, I, I certainly highlighted you know, sort of how God creates here in a very ordered and structured way, but that's not so much what I want to focus on, sort of that pattern of the realms that God creates and then the filling of the realms and and the creatures that rule over those realms. Uh, But what I really want to focus on, uh, as we're talking about creation here, is, is really the relationship between man and the rest of the created order, sort of what is man's role, what is man's relationship to creation. Uh, Before I even get there, though, I do want to note here what is said in verse 31 of chapter 1, because it's awfully significant. It says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good, right? All that God made, it was very good. It was perfect. There was no bit of brokenness. He made this wondrous and glorious creation, and he made man in the midst of it, and as we're going to take a look at and speak to here, he gave man this wondrous position of authority over the whole of the earthly creation. Uh, we, we read it here. Actually, it's stated twice, in fact, uh, in in uh, starting at verse 26, we see it once here. Let us make man in our, in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then it's stated again, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and in increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Right? So God created this wondrous creation. It's glorious. It's perfect. Now, I understand that sin's ultimately going to come into the picture. That's not too far off. We get to chapter 3, and that happens. And and we recognize that certainly a brokenness and corruption has come upon the created order. It's not perfect the way it it once was. But even still, even in our day and age, this broken, fallen, created order is still wondrous and glorious. And as we're going to talk about, it's still, even in its broken state, a wondrous gift from God. He created it perfect. It's going to one day be made perfect again, but even in its broken and fallen state, it is still this wondrous, glorious thing and a great gift from God. And he has given man this incredible position as ruler over it. Effectively, right, this is what man is. God is great high king, over all, and we are in effect his his vassal kings, his assistant kings, vice kings, right, as rulers over the whole of the earthly creation. This is the wondrous, exalted role that God has given to mankind. And if we were to read a little further into chapter 2, we see this role sort of fleshed out a little bit more. What does it look like to be Ruler over the whole of creation. And and what it looks like is to be a blessing to the created order. And what we're going to see is that this sort of goes both ways that it's really a, a relationship of mutual blessing. That mankind is to be a blessing to the created order. And specifically, how? Well, man is told not just to rule over it, but as ruler over creation to guard the created order, to keep it, to tend to it, to work it. Effectively, man's role is to seek to cause the creation all around man to thrive. This is man's role in creation, to be a blessing to the created order and to seek for it to really experience wondrous thriving. This is man's role. Now, I want to, as we sort of think of this, as we recognize man's role here as king over creation, uh, God's great high king, but sort of over the earthly creation, sort of vassal kings under God, uh, ruling over creation, to recognize, yes, we have this uh, hugely important role of really being stewards of this created order, But someone could take that potentially to some extreme, and I don't want us to do that. I want us to understand that man is still God's priority over and against animals and trees and so forth. God cares dearly about the whole of creation, but in regard to to God's God's earthly creation, man is of greatest importance. And so as we recognize, yes, we have this role of being a blessing to creation, and we are to seek its, its blessing, its benefit. We are to do, to do our part to help to see it thrive in every way. We need to recognize, though, that that doesn't mean throwing mankind under the bus, so to speak, to help Animals or to help trees and so forth. That isn't what God desires. Uh, Certainly, we are to do our part to, to seek creation's thriving and blessing and benefit. We shouldn't be needlessly sort of trampling upon the created order. And certainly, mankind has done that time and again throughout history, where sort of needlessly we pollute and do all sorts of, of negative things to the created order around us. But at the same time, we don't want to go so far to the other side that we almost make creation out to be a sort of idol and everything becomes about creation and we sort of cast man aside. We, we, we cast man aside all for the sake of saving a few whales or a few lions or, or whatnot. And that isn't God's desire either. We are sort of the crown of the earthly creation. We are sort of chief among it. God cares about us more than the rest of the earthly creation. We need to recognize that. And man needs to be a priority. But still, we need to recognize that we are to be a blessing to creation and to help to see it thrive and not needlessly trample upon it. So there's certainly a call for wisdom in how to balance those two things out. And I certainly want to call attention to that. So on the one hand, yes, we are to be a blessing to creation, to seek its, its thriving and well-being and benefit but at the same time, it's a two-way street. We recognize that the rest of creation all around us is to be a blessing to us. That's the way God made it. Creation is indeed a wonderful, very good, as God God called it, uh, very good creation, and it's a blessing to us. And and I'd say in two different ways. One of the ways is in that God uses it to provide for man, even in basic ways. And we actually read that here, uh, specifically in verse uh, 29, right? It says, Uh, Then God said, I give you, speaking to man, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. And every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And ultimately, later on, we think of the day and age of Noah, uh, the Noahic covenant. And now, after that, God has also given man the animals to eat as well for food. And so, God uses creation to provide in in really, in very basic ways, uh, fundamental ways for mankind. Creation is to be a blessing to us as it provides us with food, as it provides us with water, as it provides us with oxygen, with air to breathe. And so, it's sort of a fundamental way it's a blessing just meeting those basic needs and providing for us in that way. That's the way God has made it. Uh, But even more than that, God has made the creation to be something that is to be enjoyed by mankind. He has placed us us in the midst of this wondrous, glorious, very good creation. Not perfect anymore, we know that, right, ever since the fall, but it's still wondrous and beautiful and he's placed us in the midst of it. Yes, to be a blessing to it, but also just to be blessed by it. Not just in a sense of provision, but just to enjoy the beauty of it, to experience delight and enjoyment uh, in the midst of it and in it. And so we recognize that, that the creation all around us is this wondrous gift. And I think particularly in our era, I would say we're probably more detached from much of creation than probably mankind ever has been in the rest of history. You know, for much of human history, most of life was spent outdoors in the midst of creation and you know you worked the land or you were a shepherd and tended sheep and so forth and, and day after day you just sort of engaged with creation in in, in a profound way and you recognize just what a blessing it was to you. But I think now in our day and age often we spend most of our days I know it's still in the midst of creation but at the same time sort of detached from it in some sense sort of in a cubicle somewhere or maybe it's at home and you work from home but you're in your office and you're just sort of looking at a computer screen typing typing click click you You know, uh, for so many of us, that's what much of our daily lives is. It's just sort of we spend our lives in a room, working in an office. Even when we go home, we spend most of it indoors. And in many ways, for much of creation, we're rather detached from it. And it's all too easy to sort of lose a sense of what a a wondrous and glorious thing it is. and, And just what a great gift and what a great blessing it is from the Lord. And I think you even see that sort of innately we were built in such a way to just delight in and enjoy the created order. When you think of, you know, maybe it's April or so, you know, you get that like first really nice day in the spring and it's warm and it's sunny and it's like everybody's outside. Even if it's like a work day, you know, maybe people are calling in sick. I know my dad at his office hopefully not too many of his workers are listening to the sermon, but I know it would always happen. He he was an oral surgeon, and and I remember him speaking of this where it was like, you know, the first nice day of the year, and suddenly everyone's come down with a cold and calling in sick and so forth. I'm not saying you should do that, but it speaks to the sense of we now have a nice day, and everybody wants to be out, right, in the midst of it. People don't want to be stuck up in a, you know, medical office, some other place indoors after being cooped up through the whole of of winter. There's a sense of, no, oh, there's this beautiful creation. It's sunny out. It's nice. And there are flowers in bloom and, right, all of this. We see the birds are coming back and all the animals are active. And you just sort of want to be out in the midst of it and delighted and, and rejoice in it and, and just experience this, this great blessing of creation. And so we were sort of made for that. We were made to be in the midst of creation, engage with it, and experience a, a real wonderful joy in it. Right? That's just the way we're wired. And so we recognize that creation really is a, a wondrous gift from God, and we ought to be giving Him thanks for this. Just to say, Lord, thank you for this wonderful, beautiful creation around us. Thank you, Lord. And just praising Him for it. But the reality is that it's not just that creation is a gift from God and a blessing uh, unto us, and that we also are to be a blessing unto the created order and seek its, its well being and benefit. Uh, the created order all around us. But we also recognize that, that creation also, in another sense, it's sort of, as we talked about at the outset of the, the beginning of the sermon, that it also gives us a little bit of a glimpse of the one who made it, right? The creation itself really speaks to the character of the one who fashioned it and created it out of nothing, God himself. And so as we look around it, at creation all around us, we catch a little glimpse of God and who he is, right? We see his character in it. As we look at creation and we see, as I talked about it, its greatness, its vastness. As we see its beauty, its it's glory, we recognize that that's just sort of the, the little tip of the iceberg, just a little glimpse of the immeasurably greater glory and beauty and splendor and greatness of God himself who made it all, right? And we actually see this spoken of. I want to read for us now Psalm 19. This is written by David, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. I'll start with the little heading for the psalm as well. It says, for the director of music, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Right, you can sort of picture David here just sort of gazing up into the sky, into the heavens, right, at daytime, at nighttime, and just sort of having a sense of wonder and awe, recognizing just the beauty of the heavens, right? Whether it's looking at the sun, and he speaks of that in the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, and he goes on and on. Whether he's looking at the sun and recognizing it's just, it's radiant glory and beauty and saying, well, that that just gives us this little glimpse of, of the immeasurably greater one who made that, right? The sun, that's nothing compared to the creator who made it out of nothing. And if the sun is beautiful and splendid and great and glorious, how much more so immeasurably infinitely more so, uh, is the God who made it great and glorious, right? Or you can sort of imagining as he looks up at, at the night sky, right, and, and he sees the stars and the moon and again sort of just is in awe of just the beauty of it, just recognizing, again, this is just a, a reflection of, of God's immeasurably greater beauty and splendor and glory and greatness, right? That the created order just gives us a little glimpse of God himself and his character that's immeasurably greater, and that in creation we just catch that little glimpse, that tip of the iceberg of God and his greatness and glory, right? And if you think about it, while David, as he sort of looked up at the heavens and, and caught a sense of this, right, recognized having a sense of awe over creation, and then recognizing, man, that 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 creation, the heavens, in a sense, sort of pour forth speech, not in audible words, but sort of inaudibly, they sort of reveal and declare, right, the glory of God, as he says. They sort of reveal and reflect God's character in some sense, right? And, And he didn't get to the fullness, the, the sense of the vastness of the universe, right? When he looked up at the heavens, he didn't have a sense of, boy, how many galaxies are there, right? How big is the universe? How many stars, right? He just knew what he could see, and yet he was still utterly blown away by it. But if we actually think and say, well, we know a little bit more than David knew, and let's just sort of think of some of the statistics and get a sense just for the vastness, the greatness, the beauty, the glory of uh, of the heavens, Right? Here, if we're just talking about the Milky Way alone, just one galaxy, it has 250 to 500 billion stars. It's 150,000 to 200,000 light years across. And again, then you realize, well, that's just, that's one galaxy. That's actually like nothing in comparison to the whole of the universe right? And if we want to say, well, now let's talk about the universe, and actually, we can't really talk about the whole universe. All we can talk about is the observable universe, what we from Earth can sort of observe, right, which is this sphere of a, with a diameter of 93 billion light years. I mean, think of the vastness of that, the size of that, and again, recognize that's just w- what we can observe. That's not all of it. That's just what we can observe in some way, And even looking at just that observable part of the universe, we realize, well, it's not just the Milky Way that has an unimaginable number of stars and has this vast size, but we realize actually there are 2 trillion, and that's sort of an approximation, but based on the best evidence, that's sort of the best guess of, well, in the observable universe, there's really actually probably around 2 trillion galaxies, again, just in the observable part of the universe, you know, and then you realize, well, let's do a little math here. If the average galaxy has about 100 billion stars. If you want to think, how many stars are there? If we think the sun's pretty remarkable and then realize that's sort of an average star in a sense, and then how many more of those are there out there? Well, that's a two with 23 zeros after it. uh, Two times 10 to the 23rd power, that's how many stars there are, again, in the observable part of the universe, not to say the whole thing and to recognize it's just the vastness, the unbelievable, unfathomable vastness and greatness and beauty and glory of this created order as we sort of look up into the heavens and sort of get a sense for that, and then to recognize, and and that's, that's nothing compared to God himself. That's just what he created. He just spoke it, and it came to be, and it was nothing for him to do that. And if that's so incredibly beautiful and vast and great, how much more so the God who made it, and it was nothing for him to make. He just spoke it, and it was. And we get a sense, again, as we sort of ponder uh, the created order all around us, we just sort of get a sense for the infinite glory and greatness of God and his awesome power that he just spoke it, and it was. And again, whether that's you're looking up into the heavens and you're thinking of the vastness of it and that we're just sort of nothing in the midst of it, or whether you sort of look at things from a small-scale perspective and you just see how every little atom or subatomic particle, it all does its part, and every molecule in the body, and every cell, and just the wonder of how does that, how could that just happen? And to think of just the order and structure and God's fine-tuning of every little bit of it and just have a sense of wonder and marvel at it, and again, to recognize that's, that's just a little glimpse. That's not the real glory of God. That's just a little glimpse that we see of God's infinite glory and greatness, and we see that little glimpse in creation. And I want to read for us another passage here, also from the Psalms. This is Psalm 33, and I want to read verses 6 through 9, and here's what it says. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Right, what is he saying here, the the psalmist here? He's just saying, right... All that is this incredible, and again, understand it, and now our, our sense of sort of scientific understanding, the vastness of it, and again, all we even know is the observable part of the universe. Ha- have a sense of that and the sort of the fine tuning of every part of, of, of creation and the human body and other animals and how it all works together. Think of all of that, and then he 's saying right it 's just by the word of the Lord that all of this was made, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth, right, and he goes on and on, every bit of this creation, all he did was just speak it, and it was, it was nothing, it it was nothing for him to do it, it took no effort, it wasn't like, yeah, God was able to pull it off, but it was hard. No, he just spoke it, and it came to be. God just wills something. He just decrees it, and it is, right? That's the almighty power of almighty God, right? He is infinite in power, in might. He just speaks something. He just wills it, and it comes to fruition. It is. This is who the sovereign Lord is. This is his infinite power, right? And so here we have the psalmist, not just looking at creation as we sort of think of David in Psalm 19, not just sort of looking at the way things are now and seeing, getting a glimpse of sort of God's greatness and glory, but... But, but looking back in time to the moment when the creation came to be, when God created it all, and thinking of that, that singular event when God did that over those six days of creation, and then he rested on the seventh, and recognizing all he did was speak it. right? This is how amazingly mighty and powerful God is. This is his limitless, infinite power. He just says it, and poof, it is. And then here's what he says. right? What is the only appropriate response as we sort of, understand that as we, as we let that sort of sink into the depths of our mind and our hearts as we realize this is who God is, that he is the sovereign Lord, uh, uh, God most high, that he is infinite in power and might, right, that he just speaks things and they are and they come to being. How are we little old mankind to respond to that God who is infinite in power and might and sovereignty? He says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Right? The only appropriate response as we sort of come to grips with this, as we understand God, as we see in this act of creation his infinite might and power, the only appropriate response as we understand who God is and we catch a sense for that in creation is just to fall on our faces and worship, to revere him, to have that appropriate fear and reverence for God and just worship him as God Almighty. Right, And that is the appropriate response. As we sort of look at creation, and in creation we get a little glimpse of who God is, this infinitely powerful and glorious and great God, Lord Most High, God overall. As we get a sense for him in creation, the only response is just to be in awe, to fall on our knees, fall on, down on our faces, and just worship him and praise him for who he is, this great and awesome and glorious and mighty God. That is the only appropriate response. So I kind of want to come back here big picture and say sort of what's our application? I always like to talk about application. What's sort of our our takeaway? And first, I kind of want to go through sort of in order as we march through our sermon here and, and, and talk about creation Uh, And I want to talk about man's relationship with creation first and sort of give an application there. First of all, we talked about, well, we are to be a blessing to creation, right? Again, we sort of have to have a healthy understanding that mankind is to be a priority over other things, but nonetheless, we shouldn't be needlessly sort of trampling upon the created order all around us, but we should seek to be a blessing to it. We should seek its, its welfare and benefit. We should want to see it thrive and be a part of that and that we should really live out that role faithfully. And so I want to challenge us as God's people to understand the role that we've been given as rulers over this earthly creation under God's ultimate sovereignty, of course, but as sort of assistant vice kings, we have that role, and we are to seek the blessing and benefit of the created order, and we ought to take that seriously and live it out, but also to recognize that it's a two-way street. So not just to live out that role that we have, but also to recognize, well, creation's a wondrous blessing from God unto us, And to recognize that it's a blessing in the sense that God uses it for for provision, for our basic needs, and just to celebrate that, that we have food through the created order all around us, that God provides for us through creation in that way, that we have water, that we have air to breathe, that he provides for us in every way and uses creation in that process, and just to celebrate that and give God thanks for that. But but not only that, to recognize that also uh, creation is a wonderful blessing to us in the sense of Uh, It's something just for us to be enjoy, for us to enjoy. It's something to be enjoyed by us, that God made us to be in the midst of creation and just delight in it, to experience wondrous joy in it and through it. And we were just wired that way and made that way and just to recognize this is a blessing, that we have this wondrous, beautiful, even in its fallen state, still wondrous and beautiful creation all around us, that we get to be in the midst of it and just experience it and just enjoy it day after day, and just to to respond by just giving God thanks, to celebrate that gift, the gift that creation is, and just give God thanks for it. I want us to live out that application as well. But then we also talked about how in, in creation that, that we get a little glimpse of, of who God is, his character, his, his greatness, his glory, his, his might and power, and the infinite extent of all of those, and that we sort of get just a little glimpse of it in creation. I, I want us, as we go about our lives, as we leave here and we're going to go out those doors, out into the world, and, and we're going to see God's creation all around us, I want us, as we engage with creation, to really catch a glimpse of God and who he is, not just sort of to go about creation and do our thing and have sort of no sense of of God in the midst of that. But as we see creation, as we're sort of astounded by it, how it's been fine-tuned in every way, as we are just sort of astounded by its greatness, its vastness, as, as we're just blown away by its beauty, as we see, you know, the colorful birds and the wonderful, beautiful flowers, and we're just sort of taken aback by it and blown away and mesmerized, just to recognize that that's just a little glimpse of the immeasurably greater glory and greatness and power of God. And so I want us as we engage in in creation to sort of see God through it, to recognize that in creation we get a little glimpse of who God is. And and as that happens, as we through creation get a sense for God's greatness and, and his glory, his power, to respond as the psalmist spoke of in Psalm 33, just to bow down before him with reverence and just to worship him, to praise him as almighty God, Lord over all, infinite in power, glory, greatness, to give him his due as Lord Most High, and just worship him. That's what I would love to see us do, to live out this application, this challenge, to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for creation. We're a part of it. Thank you for creating us. But then as we think of the created order all around us, thank you for it. It's a gift. Let us not lose sight of that. It's a gift in the sense that you use it to provide for our very basic needs. But more than that, you give it to us as a gift just to be enjoyed, to experience just wondrous delight in it. You have wired us, you have made us that way, and and you have given us this wondrous gift of this beautiful creation around us, and may we delight in it, Lord. And may we respond by just giving you thanks and praise for this wondrous gift that you've poured out upon us, Lord. May we also recognize that, that in regard to our relationship with creation, it's a two-way street. It's a blessing to us, but we're to be a blessing to it as well. It's part of our role as rulers over the earthly creation, and may we take that role seriously, Lord, and seek really the blessing and benefit of creation all around us. May we seek to see it thrive in every way, Lord. As we day after day engage in, in your creation, Lord, may we also see how it gives us a little bit of a glimpse of you and your character. May we, through creation's beauty and, and splendor and uh, in its glory and greatness, Lord, May we recognize the immeasurably greater greatness and glory and splendor and beauty and power of the one who made it just by speaking it into being, Lord. And as we get a sense for your infinite power and glory and greatness, may we just bow before you in awe, in reverence, honoring you and worshiping you with all that we are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.